strong would describe the next beer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so we've got Mastheads. We just went deep, fellas. <laughs> Single origin coffee stout. Now, that being said, I love coffee stouts. I have this huge affinity for coffee stouts because it combines two of the things I truly love, coffee and beer. Is that not evolution going from one to another? (laughs) (laughs) One might say it's an interspecies connection. Interbreeding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this this is going to come to you from Masthead, which, by the way, if you haven't been down there, it is a fantastic little brewery with great food as well. I have two nephews who are barbacks there. Fun no. fact. Awesome. Really? That awesome. is a great fact yeah. right? that we will have to explore more. <laughs> Thoroughly. Perhaps even join them. Exactly. <laughs> For research uh, purposes. Yeah. Strictly. 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 <laughs> a lot of brewers make a coffee stout. However, this Cleveland brewery makes a coffee stout with some quality coffee beans. Yeah. This coffee from Six Shooter Coffee is an espresso bean Ethiopian Yurg Cafe which is known for a lighter and sweeter flavor than what we have grown accustomed to here in the U.S. As a result of using quality coffee beans, the coffee stout tastes like coffee and stout, not like a burnt coffee bean. It's also not overly bitter like some coffee stouts. This coffee stout is like the Pope Francis of stouts. See? Boom. Got this for you guys. <laughs> High quality and authentic. The only coffee stout that I've ever had that actually smelled like coffee and tasted like good coffee beans. Not burnt Starbucks style. The beer is also has a sweet caramel-like ending on the lips. So this um, this sucker looks awesome. It is dark, it's like, dark. like all coffees. It's, it's a stout. Right? It's but, uh, oh, that aroma is Cheers, awesome. Fellas. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, yeah. Cheers. And to you. <laughs> oh, man. That is a beautiful Ooh, coffee. really good. It's almost like a dessert. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has that roasted barley type fragrance to it. I would say this tastes more like a, uh, a cold brew coffee mm-hmm. than it would a hot brewed coffee. Because yeah. I love cold brew coffee. I really do. But cold brew has a slightly more subtle flavor. And this has that, it, it's, it tastes, mm. I think you it's, nailed it. That's, that's, yeah. it, it's cold, like a cold brew coffee. That's yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I, again, this is one of my favorite kinds of beer and this may be my favorite kind of type of this beer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is mine for sure. And it's just that right amount of sweetness. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it has not that too much. Right. He's got that slightly sweet aftertaste, almost like a caramel type aftertaste mm. to it, right? Mastheads, you do it again. Oh, this is, it's, it's clean. It's clean, but it's strong. And that's, it's a really hard mix, but it's clean and it's strong. I mean, I could just smell this for several minutes before even tasting it because yeah. it has a fantastic aroma to it. Uh, Masthead, as I understand, and you might know this better than me, that there are branches of it, correct? So it's not only in Cleveland. I don't know. I'm not aware of that. that. I'm not yeah, aware of that. I was thinking um, for those California yeah. listeners, you know, they might have one out their way. I'm only aware of the one here in Cleveland. There could be others, but I'm only aware of this one. 
and and they're known they're known for being a Cleveland brewery. So, um, in fact, I believe they're part of the Independent Brewing Association. Yeah. So, because they show up. Um, for those who don't know, you can uh, tap into the Independent Ohio Brewers Association, and there's some great finds in there. I believe we have 144, I think, now, independent brewers. Yep. <laughs> You'd even take a tour here. There's a bus just for it. I don't know if I told you this, but they actually have their own passport now. I have one. So as I'm going from place to place, I can now get stamps on my passport. Wow. <laughs> mm. Picked it up over at uh, Saucy Brewworks. We'll have to feature them in a future. Oh yeah. In a future episode, um, the beers the beers pretty good, um, and their pizzas are absolutely awesome. So, yeah, I like this because it's not leaving something strong or bitter in my mouth. You know. Yeah. Um, a pleasant fragrance. It's not overbearing. It's coffee at its beer, and then I think it's at its best. Yep. <laughs> well said. Yep. It's not overpowering. You know, it's only not even seven percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. It, it's it's hard to describe it beyond. It's very very well balanced. Yep. Like most of their stuff. I I, I do want to feature in a future podcast, and maybe we'll skip one or two first, but. I do want to feature their jalapeno IPA because it still stands among one of my favorite IPAs. Yeah. So I've already said it probably two or three times, and I still haven't done it. I really have to because it's it's very enjoyable. They have some pretty creative minds working on their beers over there, or at least pretty drunk all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, it's the same thing, right? Yeah. So I wanted to highlight, so again, people say that Catholicism is not compatible with science, but <laughs> the universities that they founded directly out of the Catholic Church are the University of Bologna, of Paris, of Oxford, of Salamanca, of Cambridge, of Siena, of Valladolid, Macarita, I believe that is, uh, of Rome, and Perugia. I mean, these are some of the best universities in the world directly founded by the Catholic Church. George right here, he would say that's baloney. <laughs> but, uh, you know. Why would George think that was baloney? <laughs> For many reasons. <laughs> right. So, uh, to quote, and this is from Forbes, all right? In the beginning, most universities in the U.S. were established as institutions of faith. The colonial colleges, such as Harvard, Yale, and Dartmouth, which was Puritan, College of William and Mary, Princeton, and Rutgers College were Christian schools in mission or affiliation. For almost all of these and similar elite schools, the answer to grow with the times and the country was to leave their religious legacy in the microfiche files. But hundreds of other colleges and universities have not left the Bible behind, often to great success. Take the case of Notre Dame, Georgetown University, Boston College, and Davidson's College. All of them appear in the top 25 Forbes Top Colleges 2016 rankings. Hmm. They're far from alone. As it turns out, of the best-ranked 130 schools in the U.S., 25 are Christian. As the country grows ever more secular, 
just above 53% of Americans say religion is very important in their lives, the percentage of Christians who report the same stands at 68%. And along with that, enrollment is up at the top faith-based schools over 8% in the last 20 years from an average 2000 I'm sorry 4800 in 1994 to 5200 in 2014 again that was from Forbes magazine so um, this this study is a little behind but that's the last study that I know of at the time for college attendance um, again you have no problem with science and Christianity, so it's it's pretty cool. Quick side note, yes. Uh, University of Notre Dame fire, interesting. Yeah, a lot of fire or a lot of church fires in Europe. Pretty recent. There I, was. It could be a, a whole other podcast. We won't even go there. I, I really would like to do a whole. But we need podcast to go there at on one this. point. We need to because need it to. seems to be a, almost a concerted effort. Okay to do that. We have church fire, a few church fires, I think in Baptist churches down south here yeah, too. And there were some. There were some. Yeah. In, but in Europe in particular, and I found out more details. I'd like to do a full podcast on yeah. it. Yeah. Because the concerted effort in Europe anyhow, in Europe was particular against one particular church. And um, it's true. It was far, far worse than I thought it was. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll do a future podcast on yeah, that. In, yeah. I'm sorry, in we won't very, rabbit trail. <laughs> very near future because yeah, it, it shocked me at how bad it was. But uh, so what I did want to touch on was there is an idea, and I really wanted uh, Mike here for this because he loves to go into this. There is an idea that spirituality. And uh, and science can kind of coalesce at some points. And so I wanted to touch on that. Mm -hmm. So what are your guys' understanding of the double slit experiment? I, what you have up on the board there, that's my (laughs) understanding. So the double slit experiment is fascinating. Um, And it proves that there is science is not what we think it is. That's really what it comes down to. Because one Nobel Peace Prize winner uh, got his award because he proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that energy is particles. I feel like you showed us a video of this. Oh, I have. Okay, yeah, right, I have. Another is this relating to the. And I think Einstein talked about this, how light behaves as a wave and a part yes. or wave and something else. Yes. And a, another Nobel Peace Prize winner won it because he proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's a wave. So which one is it? Is it a solid particle or is it a potential wave? Any thoughts on that? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to go with wave because I'm in the music side. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Which is also a great Cleveland station. Yes. Soft jazz. 1073. <laughs> the wave. <laughs> um, so what's really interesting is that it is both because if it is left unobserved, unmeasured, it is energy. Hmm. However, when observed, it is solid. So 
That just baffles me right there. <laughs> and that's why it's called the measurement problem or, you know. So it's, it's fascinating. It responds to a conscious observance. I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, I wish Mike were here too for that because I'm pretty sure he feels the same way I do about it. One of Einstein's contemporaries was a guy named Niels Bohr. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he has this great quote that he says, the opposite of true is, may, may very, or is, is false. But he says, it may very well be the opposite of a profound truth is another profound truth. And I tend to think of that more spiritually. I say, you know, okay. you know on one level, we're alone. You know, nobody ever totally understands, you know, us. Right. But we're also connected. You know, as soon as we share our stories, we realize, you know, you know, we're the same. <laughs> so, so I don't know, think about it necessarily scientifically, but I think it's an yeah. interesting. Oh. So how powerful is my mind and my own consciousness that if I'm not thinking about the chair you're sitting in, you would be on the floor or you would be on the floor if you weren't thinking about it? That's just it. I, I, I can't wrap my mind around that. And is it a collective consciousness that creates the reality that we know? I mean, these are the things that are baffling, right? I mean, think about that. So if the collective consciousness didn't understand that wood is solid, would it be liquid? And if you convinced everybody in the whole world that it was liquid, would it become one? Now, I, I think we should distinguish between, because I understand a collective group think. I, I get that, you know, and the whole uh, Edward Bernays thing and mind, mind, you know, group mind control and all that in propaganda and marketing. And I get that you can control a large group of people and the, how they think or what they want to do. And yeah. I get that. But when you apply that to matter, I can't wrap my mind around it. <laughs> and yet... Every day, schools around the world prove the double slit experiment. Every day. So how is it that we know matter because we observe it? I mean, how profound is that? Now, I will take it a step back further because I don't know if you've ever read any, any Hawking, Stephen Hawking's. Not much. All right. So in his earlier books. Why not? Why don't you teach it? <laughs> <laughs> I'll come for that class. Yeah. In his earlier books, um, he actually conceded uh, a creative force behind all matter, uh, God, right? So he conceded that in his early books. And in his later books before, before death, he said that there, it doesn't matter if there was a God or not. But because we know that there are laws that govern science as we know it, stemmed from quantum physics, that there are laws of reality um, and laws of gravity, we know that life would have happened anyhow, which I think is profoundly unscientific. <laughs> I think it's more philosophical, hmm. to be honest, um, because going through basic scientific examinations like the double slit experiment all right if it requires a consciousness to make matter there had to be an origination of consciousness there had to be a first consciousness mm. in order to create the first matter right 
Because if there is no matter without consciousness, then there had to be a consciousness to create matter. It's like the which came first, the chicken or the egg. Exactly. But to me, it almost seems like it also could, I'm not going to say prove, because I, I don't even know what prove means anymore. Right. <laughs> but like this experiment, a double slit experiment, could almost say that our consciousness wants a god hmm. collectively. Well, that's And therefore there is one. I don't know how to wrestle with that. Have you ever read American Gods? Because you just explained the whole story. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, if you have children, do not read American Gods. (laughs) It is not for children. (laughs) I mean, just to highlight a few things, rape, incest. um, Yeah, yeah. Your kid should never read American Gods. George, you love it. (laughs) (laughs) But I do like Neil Gaiman, so I did read the book. I went through it. And, uh, again, not for children. In fact, probably NC-17. It's it's a very graphic book when you read through it. But interesting concepts. Yeah. All right. Interesting concepts about the old gods versus the new gods, uh, the old world versus the new world. It, the concepts, once you read through the book, are kind of mind-blowing. So... It's a really interesting read. If you're an adult, it's a very interesting read when you go through it because it, it does beg some questions. Mm-hmm. And, and it does beg thought process of, of, of what reality is. Yeah. And to this day, I think Neil Gaiman may be the only author that for some reason can just take the supernatural world that we understand from our past and, and our parents and combine it with the modern world. And for some reason, it just works. And it just comes off as, well, oh, okay, I, I can buy it. <laughs> it's really interesting. Um, if you do have children, the Graveyard Book was really good. But <laughs> There's a geek among us. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does, he, he does write books for general audiences and only for adults. And the Graveyard Book gotcha. was one that... I've never heard of him. Do you, do you know of... No, okay. No? Uh, the, uh, the Sandman series? No? Like the superhero, the Sandman, or...? Well, it, it's... So when he wrote the series, it, you could say the superhero, but he wasn't really a superhero. Okay. He's the Dream Lord, right? Oh. Yeah. Mr. Ver- Sandman. Yeah. <laughs> really, really Dream cool. If you didn't get a chance to read through it yet. Awesome. So that's where that concept came so from. So Sandman is where you'd start if you were exploring. Well, Neil Gaiman. Uh, Neil Gaiman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sandman series was awesome. It was uh, published by DC Comics. Uh, fantastic series. The first one's good, but kind of mediocre. After that, volume two and forward, just fantastic. Um, really, really well written. And uh, and and I don't care who you are. The Graveyard Book is just a really good book. I don't care if you're a kid or an adult. The Graveyard Book is just a fun book. Um, I won't go into details because I, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. But it's very well done, very well played. I'll put it to you this way: I put the audiobook on when I was on vacation with my children last year, and we I played it on the radio as we were driving to Columbus for vacation. And my wife at one point was like, would you just please put some music on? (laughs) The kids want to hear some music. The kids in unison said, no, mom, we want to hear what happens to Bod in the next chapter. In collective consciousness, unison? Well, of my children. Take that for what it is. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so it's so intense 
that when I asked my children when, when we were going on vacation this spring, it's like, okay, kids, I'm going to find another audiobook for us. They all were like, can we just hear the Graveyard book again? Wow. <laughs> so that's how well written it is. Okay. So he's a very good author, but when I say things like American Gods is only for adults, trust me, it's only for adults. There's stuff he writes only for adults, and there's stuff he writes for kids. Well, for everybody, because he doesn't really write anything for kids, but he writes general audience and then adults. But uh, the concept, because you brought it up, was very interesting because they proposed that question in the book. Yeah. What came first, the gods or the humans who created the gods? Yeah. It's so, out of the egg, yeah. I mean, is there truly one or is there one because we needed to explain things we couldn't figure out collectively and our consciousness created there for one? I, you know... In terms of the double slit experiment, where does the church fit in with that? I don't think they, they I mean, it's it's science. I don't think they try to apply any theology to it. Okay. Yeah. Or any rejection or endorsement or... You know what? I haven't heard any... I, and believe it or not, again, if you go into the Mega Center, he, he yeah. covers some of the stuff like this. The church has no problem endorsing this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but, and here's where I love it, the church will differentiate between what is science and what is theology. And, and that's a beautiful thing. You don't have to marry them. There's no reason to marry them. Because one is the observance and the um, the calculations and the experimentation of the natural world. And the other one is the the what we know of the supernatural passed down through posterity. Right. So Yeah, well duality seems like a big issue to get you're put in, you know. <laughs> well, duality does play heavily inside the double slit yeah, experiment. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, what I, do you mean duality? Gummy. Well, when I think of Christ, you know, saying his kingdom is, he's bringing a different kind of kingdom mm. with him. He was talking about a whole different type of kingdom that he ruled in. He lived on earth physically as we do now. Yeah. But he also operated in a different type of mentality and different worlds spiritually, a duality. Yeah. You know, and I feel like Two natures. the double slit experiment, oh, you know, it puts that on shaky ground for me personally. <laughs> you know, Why does it put it on a on shaky ground for you? I, I want to hear this too because, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Maybe because I don't know too much about it. 